Welcome to Mariner's Church Weekend Message Podcast, inspiring people to follow Jesus and fearlessly change the world. Discover your purpose and get connected by visiting marinerschurch.org or click the link in the show notes. Hi, everyone. I am so glad that you're joining us online today. This is our final message of our series that is titled Start With The Ending. And if you've been with us the last several weeks, you know that Eric has done an incredible job uh, painting the most beautiful picture of eternity and reminding us that, well, um, well, <laughs> basically that we're all going to die, is what he's been saying. And while it's really been an amazing series, you know, personally, I just don't like thinking about death or talking about death that much. I, I can remember on our honeymoon, Kathy asked me, uh, she said, you know, if I died, would you get remarried? And I'm like, what? See, I mean, what kind of sicko asked that type of question? I said, I don't even want to think about death. And then she went quiet for a second. And then she said, well, if you died, I, I'd get remarried. In fact, I'd look good at your funeral. But I think my, my own discomfort with death actually traces back to a a near-death experience I had when I was 12. See, all, all the kids on my street, they owned a Schwinn bicycle, except for me. I had a Huffy. And if you don't know this, but a Huffy is the, the Kmart's brand. And bottom line, you can't be cool with a Huffy bike. But my, my parents, they were the kind that bought off-brand everything. My, you know, my teammates would have a Spalding indoor-outdoor leather basketball. And I had one they bought from the grocery store that looked like a volleyball painted brown, okay? Like, like my buddies wore Levi's, and I wore the Sears brand Husky. I had Huskies on a Huffy. Like, all discount brands started with H for humiliation. Anyway, in order to compensate for my inferior Huffy bicycle, I became the neighborhood champion of, of riding wheelies. Now, a wheelie is when a superior athlete will pull up on, on the front tire and just ride on one wheel. And, and I was better than anyone in my neighborhood, except for, for the one time on the way to school, a friend told me that I couldn't ride a wheelie on his 10-speed, and, and I kind of laughed at that lame challenge, and, and I quickly jumped on his bike, and as I pulled up, the 10-speed was actually lighter than I anticipated, and, and I pulled up a little too far, which is normally not that big a deal because that's when you apply like a slight pressure on the brake pedal, except 10-speeds <laughs> don't have foot brakes. And before I could adjust, I pulled the bike up and over 180 degrees and slammed my head onto the concrete. And luckily, my husky pants hit first and saved me from immediate death. But this accident, it, it happened back in the rugged area, you know, like before there were bike helmet laws, when, when boys were men, no electronic bikes. You know, we were the last of the tough generation. But nowadays, you know, people are so sad. They go to therapy because they're, you know, avocado toast doesn't have enough cracked pepper. Anyway, had I been forced to wear a helmet, it would not have been a cool one. I'd be the kid wearing a hard hat from the hardware store. So I'm, I'm laying on the street unconscious. My friends think I'm dead. Blood is gushing out the back of my head. And I wake up, there are two Catholic priests kneeling over me. The accident happened right in front of a Catholic church. And they were offering me last rites. And I really thought, I'm going to die. And the ambulance took me to the hospital. When, and when my dad arrived, he looked at the gash in the back of my head and he, he just told me to rub some dirt on it and shake it off. That was my near-death experience. And, and you actually might be laughing right now at my pain, and that's okay. But there's a principle behind the wheelie 
that you might actually identify with, and honestly, it's not that funny. See, many of us are living our lives trying to prove our worth, that we want to be someone special and we want to be valued and for others to, to look at us and see us and go, man, oh, that's a, that's a Schwinn person. We're, we're riding wheelies in life trying to gain approval instead of really living out the worth that God has granted those of us who have put our faith in Jesus' work on the cross. And when you lose sight of his work, you try to prove your worth. I mean, we do this when we, we don't think about eternity and, and we forget that we're not ultimately made for this world and our, our time on earth is limited. You know, James tells us in James chapter four, he says, how do you know what your life is even gonna be like? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while and then it's gone. Now, how's that for a bright and cheery verse? I mean, James is saying, hey, pay attention to how short your life really is so that you can make the most of the time that God has given you. Because we know where we're going and it's gonna be amazing. And the best is yet to come. We all know, we know that. We just don't know when. I mean, you don't know when. I mean, I obviously know when because I answered questions on one of those life expectancy websites about you know my eating habits and family history and I had to enter in my weight, which I did from high school. And based on very accurate scientific data, I'm scheduled to die on August 11th, 2048. Yeah, I'll be doing wheelies in my wheelchair. Okay, here's the truth. None of us know the when but we do get the privilege of knowing the where. And that's been this series, right? And through scripture, God has graciously given us an amazing glimpse of eternity. But what are we supposed to do while we're waiting for eternity? And thankfully, the Apostle Paul addresses this when he wrote to the church in Corinth. In Corinth, the, the Christians were making mistakes. Here's a little context. They were making mistakes with their freedom in Christ as, as permission or, or liberty to kind of live however they wanted. And Paul affirms this freedom, but he rejects them using their freedom to be drawn into sin. And, and when you study 1 Corinthians, and I hope you do, you get this idea that the Christians had lost sight of the bigger picture. And as a result, their, their faith had weakened. I mean, they had become... Uh, spiritually undisciplined and, and lazy. So Paul writes, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So church, run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we, as Christians, we do it for an eternal prize. So I, he says, as a follower of Christ, I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should do. You see, Paul is, he's just trying to awaken them from their apathy. He's saying, hey, Christians, don't sit in the bleachers and wait for death. No, run that your everyday faith, it's not a stroll through the rose garden. I want you to run to win and not just win. I want you to win an eternal prize. Now, he's not talking about winning salvation since that's already been won for you by Jesus's death on the cross. He's challenging Christians to focus, to, uh, to be single-minded, to live with passion and intentionality, to, to live with determination and self-control all those sacrificial actions that athletes take in order to win. It's not a run towards salvation. 
It's a run towards stewardship. So he's saying, yeah, you have freedom in Jesus. You're not, you're not shackled to the law anymore, but in that freedom, God has given you so much more. I mean, you're lounging when you should be loving. You're, you're sitting when you should be sacrificing. You're walking when you should be running. Now you might be thinking, wait a minute, Doug. I thought all I needed to do was stand up and say, I believe, and then the doors of heaven would be kicked open, right? Well, yes, yes, yes. But scripture also teaches that belief without action is dead. I mean, James chapter two actually says that the demons believed, all right? It's, it's more than belief. It's true belief actually results in action. So belief or faith, it moves to our heart and then it changes the way we live our everyday life that you run to win so you don't miss out on the amazing adventure God has planned for you as a believer. Now, I've shared this before at, at Mariners, but I think it's worth repeating. Think about Disneyland for a minute, okay? Just go there. Go there in your mind. It's the happiest place on earth. And you know if you've been, you walk into the entrance of, of the park and it has some beautiful landscaping, right? And once you're inside the entrance, I mean, it definitely has this wow factor. I mean, you look up and you can see the Disney Railroad. Occasionally, some of the Disney characters will come out and you got, you know, Goofy or Buzz Lightyear or Aladdin, they make an appearance. And, and technically, watch this, technically you're in Disneyland. The excitement and the adrenaline are pumping right when you go through those gates. You, you can purchase a Mickey Mouse hat and a, a Tinkerbell marshmallow treat at the entrance. You can even take pictures in front of the logo that's manicured beautifully with carnations. I mean, there is a lot happening that is so wonderful. But what if your whole Disneyland experience happened right at the kingdom's entrance? I mean, it's exciting, but... You know, eventually the wow factor wouldn't last. I mean, if your only experience every time you went to Disney in the Magic Kingdom is spent at the entrance, I mean, that's nice. I mean, technically you're in, but you're not participating and enjoying the bigger picture. Then imagine that somebody comes up to you saying, hey, now that you're in, come on, follow me. And this person grabs your hand and you run through the tunnel into the kingdom. I mean, the, the magic kingdom, the kingdom of, uh, of adventure, the kingdom of joy, the kingdom of wonder, the kingdom of, of excitement and, and amazement and opportunity. And then you say to yourself, wow, I didn't, I didn't know all this was here. I mean, there's so much more in this kingdom than just being at the entrance. And friends, the kingdom of God is like that. It's alive and it's active and God is working in you and around you. You can't wake up in the morning without bumping into his presence and his power being at work. Now, you're free to do whatever you want. I mean, you can wander aimlessly at the entrance because you said, I believe, and now you're in. But the preferred life, I mean, the one that God has for you while you are breathing on, on, on this side of eternity, I mean, know that our eternity is coming but the kingdom of God on earth is open for business right now. And Paul is saying, friends, grab Jesus's hand and run into the action that awaits you in this kingdom. All right, you're saying to yourself, Doug, I got, you got me, I get it, that was helpful. But, but what, what specifically should I run toward? I mean, I'm not supposed to run aimlessly. Paul says he doesn't shadow box. 
It's a great question. So what are the things that you run to? You run to those things that are most important to Jesus. The first is you run to love. Why love? Because Jesus loves. He loves you. He loves me. He loves your enemy. I mean, Jesus is love. If if you looked in the Old Testament, you'd find 613 laws or commandments. And, And Jesus was asked one time, hey, which of these 613 are most important? I mean, come on, Jesus, can can you narrow it down a little bit? And Jesus answered with clarity and conviction. Jesus said, here it is. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Then he says this, a second is equally important. Not less important, not kind of important, not almost as important, is equally important. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. So he's saying loving God and loving your neighbor are equally important. And if you've been participating in the, the Mariner's Daily Read, you know that all of the January readings have have mostly been about loving God and and understanding his majesty and his uh, holiness and being drawn closer to him, which is great. But according to Jesus, that's only part one. That part two is equally as important, which is run towards loving your neighbor. Now, if you believe this world is all there is, and I'm sure some of you do, then sure, I mean, Live for yourself, pursue every pleasure. I mean, go for it. But if you believe what the scripture teaches, that this is not our ultimate destination, then you would be wise to run toward love because when you do, you're gonna be you know, used by God, your faith is gonna be strengthened, you're gonna help others, and ultimately, you're gonna be preparing yourself for eternity. And I hate to tell you this, but... Eternity is not going to include your accomplishments. It's not going to include the longest wheelie or your net worth or your amazing sculpted body. I mean, all of that will be gone as we've learned in this series. And as a Christian, your life isn't about fame. It's about faithfulness. And loving God and loving others, that's what expresses that faithfulness that your fame will fade away. Like if you Google the phrase, um, his name will live forever, what you're gonna see is hundreds of people you've never heard of, like, like Mark Roberts, who is famous for being in the running of the bulls in Spain, naked, okay? That's what he's famous for. Can you see the family photo album? You know, why isn't grandpa wearing clothes, daddy? Or, or what about the name Larry LaPrize? That he wrote the song, The Hokey Pokey, well, Larry, Larry died in 1996, and the Hokey Pokey song is his legacy. And apparently, when, when Larry died, they had trouble getting him in the casket because they put his left arm in and his right arm would come in. Yeah, I know, I know. That was bad. But here's the deal. Love will last because it transfers to people. And to love well requires sacrifice. I mean, Paul said, I discipline my body like an athlete, meaning uh, discipline means sacrifice. It, I, I know for me, it's always easier to, to feel the comfort of my own home than it is to sacrifice my time to go love someone else. I mean, loving others will require you to sacrifice your, your time, your ego, your comfort, and that's okay because you'll be following in the ways of Jesus. So this week, how are you gonna run towards love? Now, let me be real practical. And I'd love for you to go to marinerschurch.org slash run, and you'll see something that I've, I've put together. And I've put together just some specific 
options for you to lovingly sacrifice this this week. And I just want you to choose one, okay? And there are things like, um, because we know love is active and I want you to put it into play. It's things like love my neighbors. Uh, I can actually love my neighbors at work. I can love my neighbors at home, school, community. I give you a whole bunch of things there. Just pick one because then all of a sudden you're gonna be practicing what it means to run to love. And if you're gonna run to love, you also wanna run to serve. Run to love, run to serve. Here's the second one. In Matthew chapter 20, we see Jesus' closest friends uh, getting into an argument about who would ride shotgun. I mean, essentially what they want to know is who gets the best seats and who gets to sit next to Jesus in heaven? And here's what Jesus told him. He said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you to be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, wait a second here. I use the word slave. Are you out of your mind to be a slave? I'd rather, I'd rather be forced to watch a Kardashian marathon than, than be a slave. I mean, it's such an ugly word. It is. It's an ugly word. See, the disciples weren't thinking spiritually. They were thinking culturally. And during their time, uh, the Roman Empire connected greatness with power and position. And then Jesus took that cultural construct and he just flipped it upside down and he connected greatness to serving others. Now, notice that Jesus doesn't reject greatness. He just redefines greatness. He says, if you want to be great, that you must serve others. Because in the spiritual kingdom of God, you're not captive, you're free. And if you want to resemble Jesus, you serve and, and in your freedom. And that's just a holy activity. Why? because serving is the very nature of God himself, that you will never be more like Jesus than when you serve. Jesus served others while he walked on earth, but he ultimately served you and me when he went to the cross to give his life as a ransom or a payment for many. So for me, what I do is I I define serving as uh, meeting needs, specific needs with love. And if you don't have a place where you're serving on a regular basis, I want to encourage you to find a place to serve here at Mariners. We know that 60% of you that watch online, you live in Orange County, so you can serve right here. And here's the deal. Our church actually needs you. See, this is a a big body of believers that we call the church, and we gather for a, a weekly rhythm to kind of engage our hearts and draw us closer to God. And And you can flex your serve muscle right here every week. And it it could be as simple as serving coffee and greeting people or as complex as hanging out with me and junior hires for an hour every week. I could use a hundred of you on my youth ministry team right now to serve teenagers. So uh, think about that. Parents, if you're a parent watching, uh, you don't want to raise kids who are selfish and don't have a bigger view beyond the Southern California bubble. And if you don't want that to happen, you need to model serving. Your kids need to see you selflessly serve others. And if you're a teenager watching, don't wait till you're an adult to serve. Jesus didn't say, hey, follow me when you're in your 20s. No, he said, follow me. And one of the ways we follow Jesus is by serving. When I, when I was in 10th grade, I was asked to lead a small group of seventh grade boys, and I didn't have a clue of what I was doing. I was just trying to be one week ahead of them, but God used that serving opportunity to capture my heart, and I've never been the same. So start somewhere, 
Don't allow the enemy to lie to you and whisper like, you don't have time to serve. You don't, you don't have talents. It's a big church. Let somebody else step up. Will you at least seek out some opportunities? We've made it super easy for you. Just go to marinerschurch.org slash run and look for the ways that you can serve. Just choose one of those and we'll get you more information and we'll contact you. Just begin praying about it now. So we run to love, we run to serve. Where else do we run that's meaningful? We run to give. Okay, we run to give. And if you haven't felt uncomfortable yet, (laughs) here it is. Okay, because this action is about giving uh, your money and growing in your generosity. Now, if you're not a Christian or you're watching this as somebody who is, you're investigating the faith or you're curious about God, please don't get nervous because I'm not asking you to give money to our church. Although we are holding a blood drive this week. No, uh, honestly, I don't care about your money. This is God's church and he can pave it all with gold if he wants to. This is not about you giving to the church. This is about you growing spiritually and attacking selfishness and giving does that big time. See, generosity is one of the obvious signs that you're a follower of Jesus and it strengthens your faith at the same time. That's why I want you to run toward generosity. Friends, I mean, here's the deal. You're not gonna take money with you into eternity, right? You're not gonna be buried in your Mercedes. So why not use your money now to make a difference in the world? And I've heard people say, well, I'll be generous when I have a lot of money. No, you won't. You're totally fooling yourself. Money may change your circumstance, but it doesn't change your heart. Listen to what Jesus says about generosity. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal because wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Now, if you look at this text, the word for moth in the Greek language is nordos, where we get the word Nordstrom's from. No, just kidding. Uh, Jesus is saying, you're made for eternity, but your stuff isn't. Okay, (laughs) nobody's gonna go up to you in heaven and say, Hey, what kind of rust is in your pile? Oh, that's Lexus rust. I've got Tesla rust, the S series. I'm pretty big deal. Now, here's the deal. I have actually discovered that most people, most people don't simply drift into being generous. They need a challenge and they need a plan. So consider this the challenge. And the plan I most often suggest is what Christian financial planners call the 10-10-80 plan. It's based on scripture. If you want to do your money right, you take every paycheck and you give 10% to God first to declare that he's the number one priority in your life, then 10% to savings, and then you live off 80%. See, the world tells you to increase your standard of living, and Jesus challenges you to increase your standard of giving because he knows that what rules your heart will ultimately control your behavior. Kathy and I, we we participate in what's called reoccurring giving, that we establish a set amount that comes out of our bank account weekly into the ministry of Mariners. And then every week we get an email from Mariners just reminding us of our financial sacrifice. And I've been giving since I first came to Christ as a teenager, and I've learned something over 40 years of giving, and it's this. I can't outgive God. 
that God is always more gracious to me than, than I am. It, it's, uh, well, this week, I, I, I was just curious, and I asked our accountant, um, how many people, I didn't want to know who, I just said, how many people give to Mariners on a weekly basis? And, and honestly, I was surprised, and, and not surprised in a good way. There are thousands of people who call Mariners their home, their home church, and they're not given to their church. Thousands. And if you're one of those, I've been praying that you'll consider activating this part of your faith. Again, I'm not talking to, you know, to those of you who are visiting or checking it out. I'm talking to those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, that no matter where you're living or watching this from, yeah, living, living for Jesus requires sacrifice but you will never sacrifice as much as Jesus did for you to give you abundant life now in this spiritual kingdom of God on earth and an amazing eternity. So if you wanna grow in generosity, start here. Take the next step. Text the number on the screen and start participating in the journey toward generosity. We'd love to help you there. The Apostle Paul, he challenged Christians to run, to run to win. And I actually told my wife this week that if this was the last message I ever preached, I'd actually be pleased because I care so deeply about loving and serving and giving. Because all of these actions attack the DNA of sin, which is our selfishness. That, that because of this series, if we can learn to live with an eye on eternity, it, it will actually clarify our values for living today. And it reminds us that we're made to live for something vastly bigger than ourselves. And after I said that to Kathy, she said, well, if this is your last message, I still plan to look good at your funeral. Friends, look, riding wheelies to prove my worth was a childish move. But I know many adults who are still trying to prove their worth. And, and in doing so, they're simply riding wheelies around the entrance of the kingdom. Don't allow this to be you. If you're still trying to prove your worth, please know that God looks at you as enough, that your worth has been established by Jesus' work on the cross. You're a child of the King. So get off the bleachers. Don't walk, run to love and serve and give. And don't put these off any longer. You gotta turn your excuse of someday into today. I mean, you took the time to watch this today. Now take the next step and grow in your faith. All right, extend your hands, please. And let me pray a prayer of blessing over you as we go. Jesus, I pray you'd bless your sons and daughters this week, that you would remind them that you are gentle and approachable and that you love them cause your face to shine on them. I pray they will experience your mercy and your joy this new week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to the Mariner's Weekend Message Podcast. To support the ministry of Mariner's Church, you can click the link in the show notes or download the Mariner's app at your favorite app store. If you've been navigating God's wisdom with us through this year's annual read and would like to hear personal reflections from pastors in your community, check out the Gospel Everyday Podcast. Imagine feeding your heart, mind, and soul with the kind of practical wisdom that will change your life. If you haven't picked up the annual read yet, visit marinerschurch.org or download the Mariners app for more information on where to find it.